Welcome to another episode of the Chip and Gary Tennis Show. We have a distinguished guest uh, today named Rafer Leach. Rafer uh, grew up in Lexington, Kentucky at the time when I was a teaching pro after I'd quit playing and uh, had uh, quite a few good players at that time that we developed in Lexington. And I guess uh, Rafer's other pro or more major pro, Fritz Now, who later of fame at Nick Ball Terry Tennis Academy and working with Andre Agassi, I remember him saying that this guy was so talented, he's the only guy in the whole program that I'm going to let hit a one-handed backhand. <laughs> and Chip, I'm telling you, this guy hit a one-handed backhand like Stan, the man. I am not oh, kidding. Oh, you know, like Marinka, huh? One yeah. Those? yeah, he did. Uh, Rafe, tell us a little bit about coming up. First of all, Rafer, where did that name Rafer come from? Sure. So, uh, I was actually born maybe seven days um, from the assassination of Bobby Kennedy. And it turns out that uh, Rafer Johnson and Rosie Greer, being sort of civil rights leaders at that time as well, were the bodyguard for Bobby as he uh, made his speech after winning the California primary. And that's obviously uh, when he got shot, unfortunately. And um, Rafer Johnson also won the decathlon, I believe, in Rome in either 50 or 52. And my dad was a track athlete for Idaho State and at least knew of him. And so just the timing of uh, him being involved with, with Bobby Kennedy and that, my birth, that's uh, where they got the name. Okay, well, I'll tell you another thing about uh, Rafer Johnson is his brother was Jimmy Johnson. And Jimmy Johnson was a tremendous football player playing for the uh, San Francisco 49ers. Oh, wow. Certainly runs in the family. Uh, right. So, tell us a little bit about your tennis experience growing up in Lexington, Kentucky, Rafer, and beyond. Sure. Yeah, I was, um, I was swimming at the time at the Greater Lexington Swim Association. And they did have some uh, tennis courts, but I was sort of concentrating on, on swimming. And sure enough, the club went bankrupt. Oh, <laughs> the story that was told to me. And my dad was sort of a tennis player. And uh, boy, the Lexington Tennis Club, just looking back on it, especially these days, I live in Denver and there's, you know, tons of clubs, lots of competition, not a lot of courts. But that was just a real special place um, where... You know, they uh, they took care of the kids as much as the adults and, and, you know, paying the bills and whatnot. But, gosh, it had a social life. It had uh, 10 nice indoor courts, 10 outdoor clay. So you could, you know, play on all different surfaces. And uh, a program that I think you're alluding to um, that Fritz and yourself, Gary, uh, put together sort of around, I think, Susan Sloan, who was uh, clearly – a phenomenal tennis player at the time and she I think was one of the catalysts to just get the whole thing together and you put a visionary like that and some world class players like yourself and, and college players like Scott Smith and it was just a, a perfect timing uh, for me and I think for anybody that played at Lexington around that time. You, got, you went on to win the state high school championship in Kentucky and when exactly did you uh, go down to the place where uh, Chip trained as well at the Nick Bolletary Tennis Academy. Sure. Yeah, that was my junior year of high school. I, uh, I won, uh, won the state over a guy named Scott Hill, who actually started at Nick Bolletary's back in the early days as well. Great player, great tennis family, Greg Hill's his brother. But when I won the state the following year, um, 
you know, I didn't really uh, think there was much more to do in Lexington at that point in time. And that's when um, I'd been down to Nick's a couple of times for a week or two. And gosh, I just I just decided I'd like to go live there and uh, really see what it was like to, see, you know, up my game, possibly. Hmm. And who was down there at the time of note? Yeah, that was sort of a classic looking back on it. Because little did we know, when I was doing scholarship jobs with uh, Andre Agassi and Jim Courier and Martin Blackman was down there and Mark Knowles and, um, and you know, a lot of other great players that you know didn't even really uh, make it obviously as great as those guys were but I think those were the big ones uh, Malibai Washington I think dropped by for a week or two and just a lot of great players came through there but it was quite quite the year with Andre and Jim uh, and David Wheaton was there you know we all played together every day for a year and it was just a great experience for me and little did I know I was going to be playing with, uh, you know, some of the all-time greats. Did you ever play any of those guys, Chip? No, they weren't on my court. No. Truly. I think, you know, younger, too, and I will say they were about, you know, two years younger than I was. I was a senior that year, and I think they were sophomores. But uh, what a place, looking back on it. Who would have known, truly? So, mm-hmm. fast forward. Uh, so, you played uh, played there, and then what about college tennis? Sure. So after that year, I uh, actually went to the University of New Mexico. I followed Scott Hill, um, who went there that year, and a tennis coach named David Getz, who um, did really well, actually, as a tennis coach. And so those first two years, I think, were good for me, maybe showing up at a school that wasn't wasn't so big time, uh, get my feet wet and learn how to go to school and actually still play some tennis. So I had some successful years there and, and certainly enjoyed it. And then that summer of my sophomore year, um, David Getz got offered the job at the University of Minnesota replacing uh, Jerry Noyce, who had run a pretty nice um, college tennis dynasty up there in the Big Tens for quite some years. And so I followed him. I asked him that summer. I was at my cabin in Canada and heard that he was leaving. And I asked him if I could come along and went back to Albuquerque and packed up my gear and talked to the athletic director and asked for a lease. And he was good enough to do it. And then. Uh, in Minnesota that first year, we won the Big Tens as a team over uh, University of Michigan, and Malibu, Washington was playing one that year. So that was uh, obviously a lot of fun and sort of a surprise and a good splash into the Big Tens. And uh, played there for two years and did a fifth year um, sort of studying pre-medicine uh, with anticipation of going to medical school. Went and played a couple of satellites in Canada and one in Portugal, and, and it was there in Portugal with, I think, about 318 applicants. Um, for the pre-qualies, qualies, and main draw that uh, mm-hmm. I, I got offered to go to medical school, and I tell you, it's probably a good choice because, <laughs> boy, the competition was getting awful thick. I go. Wonderful. <laughs> so uh, who all was on your team at uh, Minnesota when you were there? Sure. So there's a guy named Duke Uline who uh, is actually a son of the, you know, the Uline family who pretty much, I think, uh, gets products to every business in the United States, uh, you know, an amazing family. And they actually gave up their scholarships because, uh, you know, they didn't need them. And that allowed uh, other people to get some scholarships. And I think uh, helped, you know, build that team. His brother, Brian Uline, they're both from Chicago. They were good and, players uh, too, weren't they, Rafe? Darn good, yeah. Duke was the type of guy that could beat anybody on a given day just because he swiped the ball so cleanly. And so I saw a couple of uh, matches where he certainly put it to about anybody who showed up. He and his brother, ironically, I just looked him up uh, probably three or four weeks ago because my 
um, my stepmom is take, taking up pickleball, and I just heard something about Brian and Duke uh, picking that up after college. And sure enough, I think they're literally Hall of Famers to the degree that pickleball has been around long enough to, to have a Hall of Fame. They're, from what I've uh, read, uh, amazing. So they went on to do that. How about that? How about that? So you yeah. you went on to you went on to medical school, and uh, where did you start working after medical school? As sure. A um, yeah, I uh, medical school was at the University of uh, Illinois Chicago. My dad had uh, gone up there for his last job, and a great place uh, really to go to medical school just because the hospitals are excellent and the, the city's fun. And I met my wife there. And uh, stayed for about five years and then uh, went into emergency medicine at the University of uh, Colorado and Denver Health here in Denver. And that's how I landed in Denver um, after about five years in Chicago. Hmm. And you, you were in emergency room at that point. Yeah, emergency medicine. Um, and that's a great career. I had kids um, and all of a sudden those overnights were a little bit less uh Desirable. I'm just not as nice a guy after uh, staying up all night. So um, I sort of found some other things to do. But yeah, that's uh, that was a, a lot of fun, especially Cook County there in Chicago and Denver General here. It was pretty exciting for a good ten years. Do you remember any memorable matches in your day, or somebody that we would know that you played had any interesting? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. You know, I mean, I remember a lot the Lexington Tennis Club. I mean. Uh, remember sneaking a win over Murphy Jensen. He beat me in the first round, and then I beat him in the finals of Concies. We both ended up there. I think you might remember this, Gary. Uh, I think uh, court six, I played Malibu, Washington, and had a win over him, probably the last one I will have ever had. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, played Todd Martin uh, when he was at Northwestern, um, and I was playing for Minnesota. Yeah. And uh, quite a few matches. Courier down in Dade City when he was you know, probably 12 and I was 14. So just looking back at all the matches, it just, you know, you play enough and, and look who you end up running up against mm -hmm. and where they end up going. Mm -hmm. So when you were down there at Nick's, what did you notice about Nick Bolletary that was different than some of the other coaches? Well, I got to add in that other memorable match against you where you snuck in on me <laughs> and took me out with some slice returns I hadn't seen before. So I got to throw that one in there, too. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And talk, well, about, talk about Fritz now a little bit. Our listeners yeah. aren't going to know who Fritz is, or maybe they will if they've seen the Nick Balteri movie. What's it called? Uh, Love and Means Nothing. Love Means Nothing, I think is the name of it. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to seeing that because obviously it'd be, you know, interesting having been there. But with Fritz, uh, I just remember being a swimmer showing up. I think the first thing I did at Lexington Tennis Club was a 24-hour tennis marathon. And I'm not sure if he had put that on, but I was, you know, in a button-down and jeans and just, you know, out there hitting some tennis balls. And, uh, you know, took an interest to it. And I think my dad wanted me to find something to do after school to keep it clean and um after a while i just noticed this figure you know about six four um really commanding presence um and he uh i think he galvanized a lot of uh support and interest in tennis at the tennis club at the lexington tennis club and it was obvious and i really uh migrated towards that and started to realize how many good you know junior players there were sort of uh, playing around me and with me there were people to look up to um 
you know, just a lot of good influences. And like I said earlier, a reasonable social life, you know, I had dances every three months and it was just a, a wonderful place. My uh, family did divorce when I was eight. And it was sort of a little bit of a home away from home as well. And, uh, you know, I'd even throw, you know, Fritz in there and you guys as uh, people that sort of helped uh, raise me a little bit because I spent so much time there. And uh, he, sh- he was organized and, and just, uh, I think, had, had a vision and brought together a great team. And, and once again, he ended up getting down to Nick's certainly more than once. And uh, clearly, I ended up there because of Fritz's association with, with Nick. I don't think Fritz was there yet when he was probably up with us when Chip was at Volatari's. But Fritz, like Nick Volatari, was not originally a tennis player. He was a big fella. And he was a basketball player and uh, had an interesting fellow because he also traveled with the carnival for a while and had one of those mm-hmm. one of those things where you jump in those plastic things. What were those called? Moon moon jumps or something like that. Moonwalk. I think it was moonwalk. But anyway. He, oh, yeah, I remember that. He did a lot of interesting things. Then he went down to Baltarys, but he did. He For a fellow that didn't come up playing tennis, he commanded... Uh, the respect and the discipline of just about any everybody in that club, and and at that time we probably had close to a hundred kids in that program, and he was like E.F. Hutton when uh, when he spoke, people listened. But he went on down and coached Andre Agassi, and I guess went on the tour with Andre for a while. Yeah, he was in a very instrumental with Andre. Was he? Yeah. Is that where you ran into Fritz? Oh, uh, well, I saw him at Nick's a little bit. Uh, he had me. Yeah, go play some with Andre. And I didn't know who that little boy was. But uh, he had some mean ground strokes and he was whipping the ball by me. I didn't know what the heck. I lost the first set, 6 1. And I played him again the second set. He had every single ball out, lost it 6 1, broke his rackets. <laughs> and that was the end of that. Yeah. yeah, he was truly raised down at Nick's, um, you know, and I know he came from Vegas, and if you read his book, you know, quite the story. But gosh, what a clean hitter and, and a talent. And there's a guy named Lauren Goldberg down there that said, this guy's going to be top ten in the world. And I didn't necessarily say no, but once again, I think some people saw it. And looking back, uh, that academy, I think, was, was sort of working around people like he and Jim Courier. Rayford, uh, let's flash forward to the present now. You have a, a, a medical practice now that's not emergency medicine, but tell us a little bit about what you're doing there in Denver. Sure. Um, I went from emergency medicine into urgent care, um, which is sort of a nat- natural offshoot, just no ambulances uh, deliver people, but, you know, it's a walk-in. Urgent care, and uh, ended up, you know, building that up to about three different clinics around town and learning a little bit about business. And... Uh, and, you know, once again, not, not working overnights, but I really do enjoy uh, being able to see anybody that walks in the door and, you know, assess the problem and, and make sure what needs to get done gets done. And I also uh, manage a trauma clinic for motor vehicle accidents and essentially people, you know, involved in sports-related injuries. And I like to rehab them sort of conservatively through physical therapy, chiropractic, massage, acupuncture, the type of stuff that actually I uh, benefited from, you know, when unfortunately injured at times uh, in athletics. And then last but not least, um, working with the Colorado uh, Disaster Medical Assistance Team just uh, on call every three or four months for 
disaster relief and did that for about eight years. I had to recently resign just because my uh, my family duties and actually business uh, obligations don't allow me to be on call. But uh, I'd like to just sort of mix it up a little bit. I see. I see. What about the uh, what about this uh, testosterone? These things that uh, people are going to men's clinics about. You have any view on that? I do. I've actually managed a clinic or two uh, that were, you know, responsible for hormone replacement, not necessarily just testosterone, but, uh, you know, women's health and menopause and uh, supplementation of estrogen. A lot of concern about, you know, whether it could cause, uh, you know, disease down the road, whether that be cancer or whatnot. And really the the literature is out. If it's done well, um, people probably do need supplementation with sort of bioidentical hormones or sort of actual human hormones as opposed to pharmaceuticals. So I think there's there's a lot to that. And it's uh, it's not quite into the mainstream of medicine, but it, it probably does need to get there. So men's and women's health, you know, they say 60s, a new 40 or 70s, new 50, whatever. <laughs> you want to call it but um the fact is you know we do age and there are ways to to sort of manage that in in a natural way and i think there's some benefit to it (laughs) just got to get it done you know professionally and and uh you know get labs monitored and and dot the i's across the t's and then i think you can get the benefits without the risks what do you think about the uh, uh, function of exercise in health as we age yeah, I think that's uh, I think that that and diet, um, and I don't really mean it in the old terms of diet, but just truly what you put into your body. Um, that's probably number one, and you can go down a deep rabbit hole, you know, with organic and pasture-raised eggs and grass-fed beef and all these things that you know really, quite frankly, are what you should be eating. So it's a full-time job if you really want to eat cleanly. But I think that's probably the most important thing because. In the end, it's really inflammation that does us in. That's what heart attacks are. It's what strokes are. Um, it's what alters DNA to cause cancer. And inflammation comes from the environment and what you eat. Um, so I think those are big ones. I think exercise, Gary Player said it best. I heard this about eight years ago. Just make yourself uncomfortable 15, 20 minutes a day. And that's what he does. And that sort of makes sense to me, just getting your heart rate up, get uh you know, get things going, even for a short period of time on a daily basis, I think is the key to longevity. Hmm. Uh, now, what about your children? Do they play tennis? They do. I just uh, was driving my son back uh, from a, you know, a club, quite frankly, that looks a lot like the Lexington Tennis Club. Not, uh, not quite as good, though. You know, you're there for an hour and a half when the group is, and you pick them up and drop them off, and, and you're gone again as opposed to just hanging out all day and being able to, you know, just sort of walk on courts and play. But they do indeed play tennis, and uh, Wesley, my son, who's uh, 14, just got back from Vegas in a sectional, and, you know, played some matches, learned some lessons. Uh, my daughter Kari's 15 she's a sophomore at East High School and just played a tournament this weekend as well so I'm the cycle is repeating how about that how about that and your dad was somewhat of an athlete himself in college wasn't he yeah I would say my dad was definitely a very good athlete he played you know college ball for Idaho State Um, he He played college college what he played basketball college basketball yeah Yeah, for Idaho State and uh and so he was playing BYU and, uh, you know, all those really good teams back in, uh, I guess, what would be the fifth 
50s, you know, maybe even late 40s. And once again, ran track, quarter miler. I think he uh, at least attempted to get into the Olympics. So he was a, a truly great athlete. I think a lot faster than, uh, than I ever was. But uh, I got a lot of what, what I have now from him, clearly. Wow. Wow. So you think tennis has given you a lot then? I think it's just been, you know, instrumental. I wasn't uh, the brightest kid on the block and probably wasn't making the best decisions back when, uh, you know, even in junior high. I think it gave me a, a focus and a direction and a little way to build confidence and parlay that into, you know, real life. I think without tennis, I'd uh, had a different path. I'd like to think it'd be a good one, but I doubt it'd be quite as. Uh, you know, interesting, fun, and successful as it's been. So I'm very grateful for competitive sports, but there's just something about tennis that teaches you some great lessons. Like when somebody's cheating you on the court. <laughs> how, how's the junior tennis going? Do you see some hooking going on out there, Ray? Oh, that's some good stuff. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to share stories of my uh, nemesis is, if that's a word, plural, but there were plenty of people back when I was playing that would uh, cheat you, both good players uh, and bad players. These days, it's still there, man, and it, it seems like the parents, uh, you know, participate a little bit more than I would have thought as well. But looking back, uh, that's just part of competitive sports. And either, true. Uh, true. Hey, Rafer, let me give yeah. you another take on this that's a little bit more uh, mm, diplomatic, you might say. Um, <laughs> uh, we've all been through this, and there were and are those who are aggressively making some horrible calls out there. Yeah. Balls, the foot in, they'd be calling out, et cetera, et cetera. But I was at the, um, the Junior Orange Bowl in December. Yeah. Uh, watching, uh, you know, Brett Stevenson. You know Brett. That's true. Right. He had a little girl there and... Um, I was watching uh, her play, and she's doing a good job. I was watching others, but I can tell you something very interesting. Is these kids, yeah, there are a lot of them that are making, aggressively making bad calls. But these kids, more often than not, are, are missing the call because they're not really watching the ball. No, you're exactly right. You know, I'm serious. And I'm, and I'm looking at their head and their face and so forth. And they're, they're missing. They're calling out balls in and in balls out. Interesting point. You know, I mean, it's... And I was looking at this that way. I said, oh, big God bleep. <laughs> you know, to look at this like that because... It puts a different spin on the notion of cheating. So it kind of desensitizes the whole concept, if you know what I mean. No, I do, and you're exactly right. I mean, the vast majority of kids are honest, for sure. Yeah. And the vast majority of kids are moving their head when they hit the ball. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and, and, um, but, and, 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 and the ones that are receiving the shots don't, they're not watching the ball. Because you have to watch it before you can hit it. And Absolutely. So they're not really looking at the thing properly. And they're forced to make a call. And I saw plenty of opportunities for them to uh, 
uh, make a dishonest call and uh, call an in ball out. But what they were doing is they were calling out balls in frequently. Interesting, even well, at that level. Yeah. How, how do you how, how do you uh, coach your son? Because you being a player, obviously he's got coaches, but you know you're you're really the the coach and the father. How do you you know Wesley is a competitive young man. I'm sure he's gotten hooked out of some matches. How do you what do you tell him at, after the match? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's part of it. I mean, I think in life, I mean, people are blowing red lights. They're not paying their taxes. I mean, there's really just nothing new here. And But if from a pure competitive perspective, um, you know, I mean, obviously you have to take responsibility, call a line share if you can get one. But if you're out on court 63 and don't have the opportunity, you got to yeah. play more conservative ball and not go for the lines. And, and yeah, I don't really retaliate, cheat. Um, I think I... God, I could say I did <laughs> one time uh, <laughs> that I can even remember. But, uh, you know, you just have to play a different game and take your hits and and try to win even though you know you're going to get hooked. Yeah, interesting. I mean, there's nothing else you can do. Yeah. Well, Rafer, thanks a lot for joining us, or Dr. Leach, I guess I should say. Yes, it's been uh, a real well, pleasure great, great talking to you. you. Gary, I appreciate everything. Uh, you know, you're somebody I've always looked up to, and it's wonderful to stay in touch with you. Well, we want you want you to bring the kids down to Florida, and we'll get a little workout down here when you get out of that cold weather next winter. I'd tell you, my wife would like that. <laughs> well, you give Julia our best. She's quite a woman. I really like Julia Leach. She's Indeed, something special. It's her 50th birthday today. So, uh, oh, congratulations. Just, yeah, you know, to both of you. Celebrating. Yeah, and Chip, <laughs> nice to meet you over the phone. Love to meet you in person and impressed with, your, uh, with what you've done in tennis. Well, thank you, sir. Rafer, have a great okay. evening. You all as well. Thank Good you. Night. Bye. Okay.